Welcome to another instalment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today, I'm joined by Sarah, Casper, Soren and Olivier to discuss how to get talented people to fulfill their potential and innovate. So before we delve deeper into the topic, we'll work our way around the room with some introductions. So Casper, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, of course. And uh, first of all, welcome everybody and hey to you all. Uh, my name is Casper. I'm 31 years old. Uh, I'm uh, the head of product at Clerk.io, where we specialize in uh, e-commerce personalization to make the, the customer journey as easy as possible for the customer, making as much money for, for our clients by making the customer journey as easy. So a win-win all the way around. I've been here for three years now uh, at home. I have uh, six kids and uh, and the girlfriend. So uh, it's sometimes is the relaxation to come to work. So uh, yeah, that's a bit about me. Fantastic. And Saren? Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me on the podcast. I'm Saren, 32. I have a background in engineering. I've been doing product management work for almost a decade. Uh, I'm the co-founder and head of product at Legacy, which is the first automated uh, CO2 accounting platform for the real estate industry, uh, where I helped start off from scratch back in 2020, just before COVID hit. Uh, and right now I'm on an extended uh, parental leave with my with my newborn. I have uh, two kids, uh, the second one was just born here earlier in the spring. So I'm just enjoying the, the summer. Fantastic. And Olivier, we'll come to you next. Sure. Welcome, everyone. And thanks for having us, uh, Dan, on the, on the podcast. My name is Olivier. As you can probably hear from the accent, I'm French, but been living in Denmark for 25 years. So I'm actually French nowadays. Um, I'm currently head of product at uh, Headlight, which is uh, uh, an app that is used to actually democratize what is can be called executive coaching to a, a much larger group of people. Um, and prior to that, I've been having different leadership roles in product management for the last 15 years or so. Um, so, yeah. Fantastic. And last but not least, we'll come to you, Sarah. Hi. And so nice to be here. I'm happy Olivier skipped the age part that Casper started, but I can, I'll just say I've been working for about 20 years uh, now, started in um, VI and profitability analysis, and then moved into tech and the digital space. I work with both uh, customer experience support, product management, and then also people management. And that's where like, I really like being in that intersection between product and people uh, hate the question, what do you prefer, people or product? I'm like, but I like both. There's a point in working with both, but also, yeah, between the business and the tech as well, because, yeah, it gets super interesting. And I was until in June this year, I was uh, working as group product manager at Spotify within DevOps. And now I'm, yeah, looking for my next challenge with people and product. And I'm in Sweden. Uh, but actually, uh, uh, born and raised in France. I'm happy to have uh, another Frenchie here, although I'm Swedish, but yeah. Fantastic. Um, so now that we've established a bit of context to each of you, we'll move on to the topic in focus. So you all have a question or statement on how do we get talented people to fulfill their potential and innovate. And as usual, I'll work away my way around the room asking each of you to pose your question and the reasons behind it. So each of you have the opportunity to give your take on the situation. So we'll kick off today's podcast with Casper's questions. And uh, my question is uh, how to spot the talent in the individual, individual in the first place. This is a topic that I'm very excited about and I find very interesting. Uh, and I have big passion for developing talents in people and being a part of that journey for the, uh, for the, for the person. And talent, what defines a talent? And, and it, it comes in different shapes and different forms. So for me to hear you guys go on how, how you're looking for to define the talent in, in, in an individual. Do every people in the world have talents? Yes, in some way, I believe they do. But is the talent something we can use in what we are looking for? Can it have a place in the organization, in our teams? Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's basically what the what the main question is about. And for myself, I really, yeah, what I'm looking for, I, I think for me, a talent is something about, it's a combination of different abilities, motivation, curiosity. Uh, drive uh, and and in some part also stubbornness because the stubbornness is what make you continue to do something that's not easy and it it even how many times you try 
yeah, you will fail sometimes, but the stubbornness combined with the motivation, the passion is what makes you find I'm just trying again and I'm trying again and I'm trying again until it's it's there. So yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to hear your go and what you see. So yeah, it was the introduction to the question. Well, if if you don't mind, I'll I'll, I'll jump on that one, Casper, um, because yeah, I guess that some of the questions also I have as are related to strengths slash talent. So uh, just to to clarify, I'm a, I'm a big fan of somebody called Marcus Buckingham, who has done a lot of work on on strengths. He has been working for Gallup uh, with uh, uh, Dr. Clifton uh, developed. Uh, a personality profile, I guess, that is still going on uh, called as Clifton Strengths uh, nowadays. And yeah, uh, Marcus Buckingham has been moving on and working with his own company and, and helping, uh, I would say, mostly large organizations in, in finding how to to unlock the potential of, of people within organizations. So I think it's, it's very interesting. I believe, I don't remember the exact uh, definition that they have, but they define uh, talent and skills and strengths on, on their website. And so uh, bear with my memory. I believe that the way that they define the talent is something that you have an innate inability or interest for. And, you know, um, I used to play basketball at some point and, and nowadays uh, my Facebook feed is posted with all kind of Kobe Bryant uh, quotes and everything. And I think there's one quote that says that that is that hard work always beat talents because I, I guess that, you know, a player like Kobe, Kobe Bryant has an innate talent for basketball, which was quite obvious. But the, he actually said that the reason why he got so good at what this is because he was, you know, never giving up and working every day and working hard and training hard. So I believe that, you know, for, for you, if you have any talent, something that you are inclined to do, you need to work on it, as you mentioned, Casper, to actually develop that into a strength, something that you can uh, predictably rely on. I think that as, as a leader, as a manager, often maybe uh, I have some kind of innate ability to kind of detect what people are good at, engaged at, and, and you, can, you can sense the energy when, when they're doing this. But I think it has to come from the individual itself. I don't think that we can enforce talents on other people. Um, and, and, you know, I guess that some of the work that, that Marcus has, has done is that sometimes you can um, mix or uh, have um, a difficulty of identifying what is your challenge, what is your strength versus something you are really good at. You can hate doing, let's take Excel for, a, for an example, spreadsheets. You can hate doing that, but begin very good at them, very skilled at it. But if it drains the life and the joy out of it, then it will never be a ton of threats. So I guess that that my view will be for, for most people, and, and this is also one of the quests that I'm uh, in and together with, with Enlight, is finding what actually triggers you, what brings you joy, and, and try to build that into, into a career or something that, uh, a hobby or whatever, but but something that, that you can really want to, to share and to bring to the table. I can jump in here as well and I love your I love and agree with uh, the definitions of talents um, I was thinking back to your question Casper like how do you spot talent um, now I have two thoughts in my mind and this is one of my the hardest aspects and I guess this is a very good practice for me to be talking and it's only sound I can draw uh, <laughs> to to focus on one topic now but going back to I think it's interesting to see like how do how do we spot talent because I know for myself sometimes the things that other people will say those are my talents for me they're so easy to do so I don't think of themselves myself as those being my strengths so for me when I look at like I, I try to look at my team how they what makes them like full of joy and excitement like when I see what they when they get the flow and then I'll see that oh that person this is really what even if I've been working with lots of programmers I mean they'll all love to code but then there's different aspects where you see that this thing he like he really likes to be on the forum and explaining and helping people how to use the tool as well so yeah for me it's really about and I think Olivia you mentioned like you have this ability as well to to identify within people what their talents are. I think so for me, it's through like a lot of observations, not like just sitting, like that's one of the advantages in an open office is that you can hear how people interact and like pick up the small things that are not maybe even obvious for them to, 
to spot themselves. Uh, very good, uh, very good answers, everyone. I uh, I've only had experience in in smaller teams, like really small startups. When you're going from zero to one, or maybe from one to one point five, where the, the the talent that you need to get on your team has to be quite versatile, because you might only be five, ten, maybe fifteen people. Um, so so everyone that that gets on the team. You know, you have a certain expectation that they can do a lot of different things because clearly they're they're skilled individuals. I think you say something uh, read on point, Olivia, in terms of not enforcing talent. Uh, I've always sort of found myself innately quite good at spotting what people get energized from, uh, and then by using curiosity, kind of digging into whether this is what you know if there's an overlap between what they're talented at and what they're passionate about um and i have a great example recently i hired the first product manager to join our team um and this is a person i've worked with before and that's probably one of the things i, I use quite often would this be a person i would work with again in terms of spotting people's ability to, to collaborate not only just with their skills uh, and she's a fantastic like project manager and has been for for quite many years but had felt quite burned out and i, I spent a good probably six to seven months sort of honing in with her, figuring out if she wanted to take the leap into product management, because I could see from my perspective that all the skills that you have and everything you complain to me about when we go out and have a glass of wine and whatnot, uh, of course, these ex these project issues exist in, in product as well. Uh, but it, it took a good amount of time to digging into what she would be really good at. And her structured approach from, from project coupled with the creativity and openness of being in a product role in, in, a, in a startup. Those two uh, forces put together uh, have seen her excel only in, in the couple of months that she's been there. I haven't found a way to put it on formula, <laughs> but a couple of times when I kind of followed the, the heart, in, in these kind of attempts, uh, I would say probably 80% or more of the time I've, I've been on point. Uh, of course, I would prefer being, you know, 90 or, or, or above. Um, so I don't know if there's in, any structured way of, of spotting talent. I haven't found it myself, but I, I go really by the gut feeling when I meet people. And it takes time. It, it, you build a relationship until you can figure out whether, not so much if they're a good fit on my team, but whether I'm a good fit for them to develop what they need to do with themselves. I surely agree with uh, with all of you. Uh, and just like you said, uh, uh, Olivia, uh, that you you do have a talent to see that that's something in this person, uh, and and that's something it it, it actually starts a feeling inside yourself when you're talking to this person. And and I've just lately started to think about what is it that triggers that this feeling in me what is it that that i can sense that make me so sure that this person would be just the right fit for that position and makes me actually uh, be intrigued of this person be, be uh, yeah what can you call it uh, I, i'm i'm really want to see where this person can grow to and and uh, yeah I, it, it's a hard thing and uh, just as we say simon i think it's yeah there's probably no right formula for it some of it, it's it's got feeling, and some of it is, is yeah, of course, the passion uh, and what they have of talents have to overlap. What they're good at should be a passion, a hobby, or something they really like to do. Because to really succeed and excellent, be be very excellent within some field, you have to do it a long time. It 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 it's not coming from one day to another. You you. You have to have the stubbornness and want to continue, no matter how many times you're failing or if it's not going your way. There have to be this thing behind them that keeps pushing them in that direction. So, a lovely answers, everyone, and and really give me a lot more to think about. So, yeah, <laughs> fantastic. So, Olivier, we'll come on to your question next. Sure. Uh, well, I, I didn't put them directly a question, more a comment or ideas for, for discussion, but, you know, the, 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 the topic here was both, you know, how to spot talent and, and help them fulfill their potential. And the other one was also to innovate. So one of the question or, or topic that I often think about is that what is the environment and the culture that is needed for innovation to, uh, to thrive? Um, and you know, being in product management, hopefully we all know, you know, the, the need for experimentation versus planning. We need both, but, you know, what is the right call, what is the right balance between between the two? Um, because I think that, and and here in this panel, I've heard a, a lot of people having kids. If you look at, you know, the, the born of perfect innovators or creators, kids are like that. And and it comes naturally to them. And, and we as adults, as, as we grow, 
there's a lot of rules that are come upon us and we try to, to figure out some of the way of things are working or not working for us. And, and then sometimes it can uh, hinder your ability to innovate. So I think that in terms of, of leadership, how can you make sure that you have enough balance in terms of setting a direction that is clear so everybody knows where they're going, whereas leaving enough room for people to be able to actually innovate and, and, and bring their creativity into, into play. So that, that will be something that uh, I'd love to, to hear your, your take on. Yeah, uh, I'd, I'd love to. This is a great topic. Um, the way I look at helping teams innovate, and I haven't had that long of a career yet, <laughs> but I've, of course, learned a couple of things. Uh, and the more that I've seen after I moved to a more product leadership position, the more I've let go of, of, of wanting to control the process of, of innovating towards a certain vision or, or, or whatnot, the, the more, uh, how do I say, joyfully surprised I've been with the results. Um, and I would say that the, the three key ingredients that, that I have leaned on a lot in the last, I would say, four years, and, and especially the last two and a half years, have been uh, humility, uh, uh, you know, transparency in, 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 in communication, also how you feel, uh, and 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 and, um, and vulnerability and those three uh, sort of soft skills combined in, in my perspective at least creates the the basis for trust uh that is required whether it's in a co-founding product team or or any other team and organization that's going through some form of digital transformation and most businesses today I, I think are either directly or indirectly uh contributing to digital transformation um because when you have those three components uh, and you know what is humility and what is what is vulnerability when you're talking product teams? It's just about for me seeing each other as the human beings that we are, knowing that I can trust the people that I work with to go and do their best. And if they get stuck, I know they'll come and we'll have a fruitful conversation where you don't necessarily have to point fingers, even though it's getting hot and there's an enterprise client who's super angry or whatever it is that that happens. It's not easy to 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 create an environment where these values are upfront. Uh, but if you take the effort and sometimes the hit in the cheek, because you'll you'll get those, um, it just ends up creating a culture over time where you can have these conversations uh, and where there's excitement to see, you know, failings. So if, when you do something and you, and you fail, well, you can you can look at it as a wonderful learning experience with the team. And you can have a retrospective when you leave the door, instead of being angry when you go to the Friday bar, you actually feel more connected because you talk through whatever it is that caused the, the challenge in your team in the first place. So for me, those are the, some of the key components because if, if the creative people are, 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 are pleased and they feel trusting and empowered to do their, their greatest work, then I can sit back and read a book and they'll come back to me and show me something cool that they did uh, later in the week. That's That's been my uh, impression. I can jump in again. Apparently, I like spot number two. <laughs> uh, so I think it's interesting because it, for me, well, I had, um, I don't know how much um, if you've heard about how Spotify works with, they have like big bets when they want to try something new, which I think is like, that's a super great way to like, if you know that you want some, because it's something for me, an innovation is that you want to do something new. It doesn't exist or it's something that's done in a different way. So I think there you kind of have the experimentation teams or you have an experimentation state of mind, but still with some kind of planning, like let's do it, time box it for one or two quarters and then make decisions on that. But I really find like going back to a previous team, uh, it's like, how do you kind of innovate continuously in the work you do? And I really do think for us at that point, we were, we had the luxury of not having that much uh, need to um, to make plans for our stakeholders. We it's like very much free hands. Like our biggest stakeholders were our customers, so we had our the roadmap for the functionality that we actually needed to. I mean, it was nothing new that we needed to create. But what made that team innovate was that they had set um, specific amount. They had a certain principles like these are the things we will never um, drop as beliefs for a product one one was like we're not um, I'm not finding the word of course uh, but no breaking changes so each time we released the, the new version of the software their goal was that you could take a project game this was a game engine like a game project four years old you just download the new version nothing is broken you don't need to go and fix your code and that, of course, made um, development much harder because they really had to check in sometimes. And it was like, okay, but if we do like the fast way to solve this, 
uh, or like the, the known way, then we're going to introduce breaking changes. So they really had to each time. And I think that's, uh, that's one way to, to look at how to incorporate that in a like, more um, continuous way in work. Yeah, first of all, I think it's amazing, Christian, uh, uh, innovation in general. Um, so yeah, how do we balance it so to keep innovation with, with certain limits? Yeah, what I usually do or trying to do is we have to identify what are we trying to do or what are we trying to solve? What is the goal? Where we, what is the main goal in this? And I'm trying to limit as little as possible. So maybe it could be setting certain rules. You have seen uh, some, some cases where we maybe could derail along the way or something like that, where you can put in a rule. As long as we don't do this, but do this. There's free play space. As long as we go from A to B, but not going to C and D. Uh, because innovation is, you can, I think you can kill it by having limitations. It, it, it's what we see all, all around the world. That right now, this is what's possible. But the only way to reach the other side of what's possible is to don't see that limit. But if you don't have any limits at all, you are also very vulnerable. For, um, for derailing or going in the wrong direction. So trying to help my team to stay in the right direction. But as long as we're going in this direction, I try to give as much free space as possible because it's something that motivates me myself. Instead of getting to, you have to do this, 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 and this. It, it's, if I, I get some freedom and I know I have to go from here to there, you also going to think out of the box. You see it as a challenge. You, you, you are getting... Uh, you're getting motivated to want to do this and want to do it smart. Maybe you can do this new way. Or you, you're trying stuff out instead of just going, it sounds weird to say the normal way. But uh, so, yeah, it, it certainly is a balance to have some limitations, but to not over limitate so the innovation can grow still. Yeah, yeah thank, thanks a lot. Very, very inspiring. I mean, f from, from my own uh, perspective, one thing that uh, that light a bulb uh, some time ago in my head uh, was uh, something called Lightning Decision Jam for a company called AGN Smart. Uh, they, they're training in design sprints and things like that. And I think one of the first line of, 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 of they have a PDF that I guess you can download from their website. Uh, and it's titled Structure and Discipline uh, create the freedom needed to be creative. And actually, uh, I really like this this quote in particular and 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 this idea because this lightning uh, decision jam or design jam jam can be used to solve all kind of problems. But the the approach on how you do things is very rigid, very structured. But that's actually good because then you don't have to to use a lot of your cognitive power to figure out okay how are we going to tackle that i mean the 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 ingredients are set but then it's up to you to go and and mix them together and and see where where you can go so i really like this uh, this have a facilitated approach of actually helping people to be to be creative uh, i found for myself that it's it's working a lot and i've been using that in all kind of settings and yeah some people Extremely creative people really love to be in the chaos. I can be there a bit, but then I I, I need to, you know, that, that's what I do. <laughs> I need to put structure around things. Otherwise, it's, it's, it's just difficult for me to stay there too long. Can I ask a follow-up question, uh, Olivier, on that one, the lightning thingy? I don't remember what it was called, but, <laughs> but it's like, does it work for all type of individuals? Because I know I'm a sometimes very slow thinker. I really need to like kind of oh what is it? at least if it's something that's I don't I don't really have like a full picture of the problem in my head but there's there like also an analysis on like this is good for these type of individuals or how can it can it be adapted yeah it, it, it does basically they're giving you some some kind of, of, of structure the agenda and and the exercise that you have to do but again one of the, the key principle as well is to involve everyone to make sure that uh, and so I don't remember how they call it, but it's uh, 
uh, work alone together, something like that. So rather than having a lot of heated discussion where you have like the, the strongest and the most extrovert people that really dominate the conversation, everybody has to write ideas on post-its and everything. So some of the things, some people hate that, like they're very extrovert. They say, oh, why should I brought it? I can just shut it out and say, no, no, please follow the rules. And then it works because it, it's a good combination of things that I guess appeals for, for extroverts and for introverts. And it, it, it's, a, it's a good mix of, of reflection time and, and also being able, I mean, it's, it's, it's paced. I mean, you have, uh, you have a timer because basically one of the core principles around, around uh, this exercise um, is to make sure that, you know, you, if you have 15 minutes to brainstorm ideas, you will get with the most obvious very quickly. And then you have to, to dig out for, for, for others. But spending more time than that, then it, it will be something new and something really creative and and again you can it i think it's a kind of a mini uh, i think it's really much inspired by the design sprint so the design sprint does that over a several uh, a series of days which is good because then for slower thinkers a bit like me uh, sometimes you, you you actually need to sleep over things and, and then the next day is, oh yeah just got but but because your brain is kind of framed into into doing that so so i, I know because I've, I've used that a few times and some people um can feel a bit, it also has to do, it has to be facilitated well and, and give them also the opportunity to to actually tweak and and, and, and make it work for them. Um, but um, I believe, I strongly believe that it works well for all kind of people. And you can reach out to my friends at AT and Smart. They have a lot of other tips on, on how, uh, and by the way, I, I got no commission for that. <laughs> <laughs> I had a couple of, of comments I'd like to uh, to add. Uh, first of all, one of the recent things I've learned uh, in my company, one of my co-founders has an extensive uh, background in design agencies, uh, and she brings an extremely structured approach to UX research and facilitating workshops within within the company, even when we're just a small group of, 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 of founders. And structuring your workshops in like Miro, what we often use, and time boxing it and knowing that it'll probably take several days, like you point out, Olivia, is uh, has really helped our entire process a lot because I'm 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 good at researching and getting stuff sort of on the whiteboard, probably not in the most let's call it digestible manner for people who are not knee deep in in product all the time. So having that translation uh, to the wider audience has been a has been a huge uh, help. Uh, even though it's a little effort upfront to build some templates you can then reuse, but now I can just go and take an old template and then now we have something. Um, the second point was to 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 Casper who had who said that you know limits can both be uh, hindering innovation, but also you know and having no limits uh, hinders innovation. I completely agree with this. Uh, it, I usually I, I tend to call it constraints, but limits and constraints are about the same. You need to understand, you know, what I usually point out to my stakeholders that well, you need to understand what the playing field looks like, so we know where we can break the rules. And if you don't have any playing field at all, then how do you know how you're going to navigate and play smart if 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 these reactionary moments come about? You don't. And and the second sort of point of of of, of this argument is. Same goes with process. Uh, I've learned over the last couple of years that process is kind of like seasoning in cooking, kind of like when you use salt. Too much, you need a little process all the time throughout whatever you're doing. And sometimes you need more depending on what you're doing. If you have to, uh, you know, marinate a, a big steak, you need a lot of salt before it goes on the grill. But if you're doing a salad, maybe not. Uh, and I have continuously done over salting of both my food and my work until, you know, you learn by experience, you know, by ear or by taste, how much you, uh, you you need to apply to it. Because if you have too little upfront or the other way around, you know, you end up in a in a, in a train wreck. Uh, so going back to my very first point around, you know, these soft values of vulnerability, transparency, and and, and humility, they don't work alone. They they need to be coupled with some form of constraint, uh, workflow process, or for for that matter, what you said, Casper, you know, like the. the underlying problem space or the storytelling of why is it you're doing what you're doing so they have something bigger to buy into and then you give them the environment where they are safe to go and explore and figure it out so it, whatever i say don't go alone you really need all the you know one-on-one -on -one of, of product management uh, as part of of the equation to to make it function and and, and scale um fantastic cheers guys um so soren we'll move on to your question next please yeah yeah, I mean, my question was uh, related to, um, uh, it, it came about because I have now been doing some hiring uh, and have looked at, 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 at skills and talent in, you know, in, in the people that, that, that I work with. And I realized I don't really have a mental model for, for thinking about it. It's always been very intuitive 
So I guess I, I do have some sort of mental model, but not not one that's explicitly written out. So so my question is, you know, what's your go-to mental model, if any, that you use to assess the talent or skill composition or gaps yeah, in in the teams that you work with? Uh, and and I can sort of maybe share my approach. Uh, so throughout my 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 working career, I, I've made uh, you can say uh, a mental list that I kind of call, call the A-team list. Uh, so everyone that I've worked with that touched me in, in, in some way or that created a specific memory of, of work situations or that I was impressed by, no matter whether they're in sales or finance or product, I have this running mental list in my head of the people that I would, like a Rolodex that I would call up tomorrow if I needed something. Um, and I have used that uh, continuously. So I also have, you can say, quite a bit of crossover with the people that I work with. Um, and and this is like I refer to this list every time I want to go and look for for new talent either for myself or for, for for the company. Even if I know I can't work with them, then I use that list to say, okay, but this person who was the account manager at this place, what was it that made me want to work with this particular person again? What was the what was the, the skills, and what does this person that we're interviewing with? How did they compare to to those? And that's been my approach. I don't know if it's it's the best out there. So I'm super curious to hear how you sort of approach. Or any frameworks that you use for for assessing uh, skills and talents in your teams? I'll jump in and say I I have no framework either. I've tried like sometimes to figure out like how can I can I boil down what I do and write a book about it and get rich now. But so and I'm like, but I can't I can't even express how I work. But I think it's when uh, when you were talking, it's like I, the last times like I I've never had like a I mean I've always started out with a existing team and maybe you add one person and I think it is like the easy part um, is to just like fill the gaps in skills like seniority or if someone more junior if there's like specific more technical area but I think the really hard one is knowing that like how is this person going to fit into the group and I, I mean I, I don't I can't figure out like how to you would be able to do that in a one or two hour interview uh, because for me that takes time it's like you need to it's like you're not going to see like the the real face or the real characteristics of a person uh, so that's where my gut feeling uh, always kicks in um, what I do ha have however there is like I'm, um, I try to um, to sense when I like if I get certain reactions like uh, I'm thinking of my biases because I know it's like uh, sometimes you would be like, oh, this person has this uh, interesting haircut. He must be uh, like this or that. And then I realize like, oh, okay, Sarah, you're starting to judge someone based on just your own assumptions. So like, okay, so this you have to put that aside, and then you can start talking to the person. So that's that's probably the only framework I use is like trying to be aware when. I go into like reactional uh, feeling mode for certain things so that I really, but otherwise, and also on the, I mean, the other side, but that one is much harder to control is when I get super excited about a person in an interview, when I just inter instantly click with that person. I try to dial it down a bit because otherwise it kinds of, yeah. Uh, otherwise because yeah I want to I, I mean I've actually said that sometimes like I, you're going to the next phase I want you to start like tomorrow with like not checking the other candidates but uh, trying to also be a little bit more um, but otherwise yeah I think it's uh, I think we should trust our gut feelings uh, especially if we've had like a history of actually doing good hires uh, it's okay that everything is not quantifiable uh, in data in my opinion I could jump in here yeah uh... I hope so. I can give some value. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, it's again very hard one. I don't have any framework. I have some things I do, uh, especially always telling myself I don't know exactly what I want until I see it. I have an idea. I know which position I want to fill out. I know we, if we're missing any skills or any strangers uh, in a special area of of um, um, of the of the team it could be like that we are looking for a front end but a front end again comes in many shapes and many forms but i know what what capabilities i want the person to have but i don't know exactly what i want before i see it and i always keep reminding myself of that to not be be blind when i'm looking at candidates if the candidate is missing this one little thing but can contribute with all this i didn't think about in the first 
workplace, but can see even more value in them, can teach or help the person expand the other thing. Um, so, so trying to be open-minded every time, not limit myself and my, my thoughts that of exactly what I want because I don't know it before I see it. I, I see when the right fit is there. But again, just as I says, yeah, we have to we have to trust our gut feeling, especially if you have a bigger history of hirings. But again, we can do some stuff. There's you can, you can do some stuff to back it up. Uh, it could be you give a code chance, a code case. Then you have some actual data to back up your. It could be your assumption, or it could be the feeling you have. It could be a personalization test that uh, we sometimes use. TT38 tests much. It, it's not for me. It's not going to be the one thing that makes me not hire the candidate, but it's going to be that thing that back my feeling and and my initial um, thoughts of the candidate up. It gives me even more confidence, and and also it's a good way to 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 check that what you actually think of this candidate and what you thought it have uh, the the candidate have of strangers. It could be it could be they are they are alphas or it could be that they are sensible or, or is a don't want to call you a quiet person but but is is an analytic person and, and and so on it can back my assumption up uh so yeah no special framework uh, so again gut feeling and and small stuff you learn along the way where for me it's that i don't know exactly what i want i only have the idea of what i want until I see it. Wow, difficult for me to come with, uh, with something new in here. So, uh, and to follow up on, on, on your comment, Casper, you know, having uh, external personality tests like TT38 uh, or, uh, yeah, the one I mentioned before, uh, the, the Clifton Strength Fighter on First Minor or others, I think it gives you a good tool to actually assess what, what are the intrinsic motivation of people, which, which is great. Because one thing that uh, I can tell you not what to do, uh, or I can tell you the things that you should not do, which is uh, the mistake that I made when I when I was first time manager some times ago, um, is actually to kind of hire a clone of yourself. You say, yeah, I want I want to duplicate myself, so I want a, an Amir clone, which is good to some extent until you really you know having to face all the flaws that you have and <laughs> seeing this as a person can be can be really tempting so what, one of the things that uh, that that I've learned over the, over the years is, is two things one is actually you hire for skills as well so uh, especially when you hire for a team uh, there's a very good framework from Reforge I guess um, a, a former CPO of Tinder I guess uh, Ravi Meta sorry if I misspell his name um, uh, put like 12 core uh, skills or competency for product management. Nobody can have all 12 of them. Uh, that's that's what makes product management so fun, right? Uh, but at least it, it can give you like a spider of where do you want to go. And and then when you set up a team, you say, okay, I need some people strong in this area. I need some people strong in that in those areas. And and then cover the whole circle, not with one individual, but with multiple individual, multiple teams. And, and the other aspect, uh, back to, to, to my comment on hiring your clones, is that being, being aware of all the, the uh, unconscious bias that you will have. Usually you hire people that you really enjoy because kind of their energy resonates with yours. That can be great, but that can also sometimes can you see um, uh, force the picture and, and, and put you on, on actually they might not have the appropriate skills needed to fulfill the job, but, but you know, depending on the size of the company, sometimes you can reframe and 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 reshuffle the the job activities so so it fits to to, to this person. But one thing that I've always do is actually uh, when I'm part of a team or leading a team is actually have the team miss the candidates one or two, the the one that are in top, because then it's not just am I going to be able to work with this uh, this person is the team going to be able to with this person so having the team actually exercise and and figure out okay who do you like most and it doesn't have to be about showing their skills or whatever but just being would that be somebody that you will take out and have a glass of wine or a beer together because that's that's really important in my world in in, in terms of having well-functioning teams wow these are really great responses i i, I really appreciate it. i took some notes as we went along here <laughs> thank you well, i can also give us yeah, based on Olivia's one is was higher diversity. Exactly as he says, don't have too much of everything because what this person have that's too much or too little of, the other people should crew. It should be a balance across the whole team. Um, so yeah, it was the one thing. I was just going to add the uh, 
there's a video clip uh, with Simon Sinek when he talks about who do you, like how the I think it's the Navy SEAL team, like who, which people do you want to have on your team, and that you don't go for like the brightest, the best person you want to have. As Olivia said, the one that you also can have like a personal relationship to have, and like somebody's gonna have your back. It's really really good. Uh, short recommended. Fantastic. Cheers, guys. Um, so last but not least, Sarah, we'll come to your question thank you and i think we already did a little bit of talk i was originally thinking we were going to talk about uh, innovating with or without limitations but i'm thinking we're going to pivot a little bit instead because (laughs) i was like i had another i was reading uh, Brene brown's latest uh, book the atlas of the heart Uh, i love it i haven't finished it so but if you like reading stuff about feelings and emotions and how people react it's it's amazing and uh, the one that caught my attention in um, in regards to innovation was she goes into this uh, behavior that we as human beings is we automatically compare ourselves to each other and I had a work experience where we were going to do um, an internal website and one of the person's first response like, how have other teams done it? And it was like, let's look at what they've done. And what Brene Brown's like, the way she summarized comparison is by saying like, um, comparison says like, be like everyone else, but better. So you kind of need to like, yeah, I'm just going to be a little bit better, which to me that becomes the, uh, the recipe for not innovating because you're kind of going on the other person's blueprint and then you're going to try to tweak, let's be a little bit better somewhere else. So um yeah, so my question to you guys would be like what um how do you work with doing like comparison to other products or something when you want to work with innovation or your product to innovate? Is it something you look at or do you do like I think it's Nintendo never do market research before they do their games because as you know, like the popular quote, customers don't know what they need. Oh, I can't even remember a quote, but you know the wise like if someone knows how it goes, please fill it in. Um, yeah, but yeah. So is a comparison maybe a way of not innovating or makes us innovate less? Very good, uh, very, very interesting question, Sarah. I think I, I can I can come with a tidbit here. Uh, one thing that I really like, and and I think there's been some some research about uh, about that. As in some some article from Near Real uh, um, that I read uh, some some time ago. That is actually um, when everybody and, and maybe that's also something that we haven't done. But you know, defining exactly what innovation is is kind of difficult. I think innovation here in this group will mean different things to different people. And some people just say innovation is complete disruption and 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 just finding something completely new, which other people call that's not innovation. That's creation. Innovation is taking a non-problem and unmet needs and improve that particular one, and not just you know blowing something completely different and and. And and creating something the um, yeah totally new, and regarding that this totally new aspect is that actually our brain is is hardwired this way that if you bring a new solution to an existing problem in a way that is completely different to the way that you use it you will dismiss it because it feels unfamiliar and we as species uh, you know um, are, are fearful of unfamiliarity so the uh, and. Yeah, I think I'll, I'll find all the resources that I'm sharing here at the end of the day to 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 get the credits to 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 where they come from. And but, but the article was that when whenever you 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 need to innovate, there must be a good percentage. And I think it was more than sixty or sixty percent uh, of things that that looks exactly the same as before. But then you differentiate on this and that particular uh, topic. And for that, some of the the frameworks that I use a lot and and really enjoy is the Kano model, uh, which is about, you know, you can't be the best at everything. That's just impossible in in life or in in a product, Uh, but making sure, okay, where do you want to differentiate? So where is it that you really want to to win the game and and, and those things, you know, uh, on on a completely different different level? I think there's a great book from Dan Olson that that explained that with some example from uh, Instagram in the beginnings and, and how they differentiated and actually a market that was already rather crowded by having uh, two main criteria which was the ability to have filters which was something a bit new so making your 
pictures look good without having too much work on that and then uh, a speedy upload of the picture so actually the, the picture was already out there in the in the in, in on the web on the internet or the metaverse uh, before you you actually felt you didn't have any feeling of waiting so um, and that was kind of a, a winning strategy for them so i think that uh, in general that that's that will be my go-to because you know copying other products it's it's good to actually get inspiration on how they frame the problem how they frame the solutions but copying their solution won't bring you anywhere but understanding the problem very well and then finding a, a way on oh this is how they solve it we're going to solve it but with this twist and this differentiation i think is is really uh, is really how innovation works I, I just wanted to add a plus one to uh, to the Kano model and also uh, Dan Olson's book, uh, is it the Lean Startup uh, Manual, I think it's called, or Playbook. Uh, I, I've used both uh, quite extensively. Uh, a big part of, of, of Legacy uh, in the early days was actually taking uh, Dan Olson's book apart into a giant mirror board uh, and then uh, splitting on the Kano model on, on top. Um, I fundamentally, <laughs> I'm a big fan of the quote from Theodore Roosevelt about comparison being the thief of joy uh, every time you compare yourself to others you at least that's how i interpret it you you come from a place of of fear uh either that you're not good enough or you know whatever it is that that's driving that fear but essentially you come from a place of fear uh, and that's in my book not the, the ideal approach to innovation um rather i mean it's it's I would say that it's impossible to not at least do a little bit of, you should always be, you know, have a lay of the land in, in, in the market which you operate. It, it, would be, it would be naive to think you could never look at your competitors because you need to know where they are or the value proposition so that you know where you fit in. Um, but, but doing your research in my book is not the same as being, let's say, obsessed with what are our competitors doing and let's follow up. Now they did the new feature. So now we need to tell our sales force to go and push this and we have to build it and they will close the other contract like that i think is a downward spiral um but if you if you approach it with this this is what the market looks like this is where our competitors are really strong if you take the Kano model in terms of the basics performance and, and the lighters and say well we'll we'll our hypothesis is that we'll cut out this piece of the market and then we'll just run with it um that has worked subjectively for, for us uh, quite well, as long as you don't get blinded by it and you get hooked up on whatever your competitive analysis was like. And I ended up actually, because um, we're in the impact CO2 space, a lot of stuff going on every every other week, I ended up actually muting our Slack channel for competitors and set an alarm that only every other week I go in specifically when I want to and look what came in. Because you can very, I got, I noticed I got caught up in this like fearful, oh my God, a new competitor post was posted. <gasps> Let's drop everything and look at their website and everyone's looking on the computer and no one's getting anything productive done. So I just, I killed it. Uh, and then only when we specifically want to have a look, then, then we, then we do it. Uh, because sometimes you get inspired and that, that's, that's all right. But, but comparing yourself, you're not going to get anywhere. Um, it, it's, it's a problem that if your understanding of the problem is deep enough uh, and well-rooted in your relationship with your customers, that will take you much further than whatever your competitors do. Yes, that's hard to follow up on. Damn, some good ones. Uh, yeah, I can't say what innovation is. I think innovation comes in different forms and different shapes. It could be a solution to something that's already done, but done faster or better or so on. So you don't innovate in the part of what you're trying to accomplish, but you're innovating in the way you're trying to do it. It could be that you have this uh, this problem. It's solved somehow in different ways, but finding a in general better way of doing it is also innovation. I see innovation both in the travel or the way of doing it, but also in the solution part of it. So I think innovation comes in different ways. Uh, but yeah, if uh, I don't, to, just to bring that up, to be scared of competitors or if they copy something you have done, uh, for me, it's a big motivator. That means one, we have done something right. They have noticed they like it, so they are doing it. Uh, but also it's a motivator for me to go even further, figure out how can we then make clerks stand out? How can we stand out from be the highest tree in the forest or the most shiny one, the greenest one, the one the customer sees in the whole forest? So competitors is, is, uh, is healthy, I think. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's also healthy to get inspiration 
from what competitors do. We can't all succeed in everything and we can't all have the same focus. So they're focusing at something, we are focusing at something, but let's be inspired by each other. Uh, it's the same by having the internet. We are sharing a lot of knowledge. In general, we are, we are putting knowledge out there. It's free for everyone. So to look and analyze what is the competitor doing that is so uh, impressive. What impress, What is impressing me by what our competitors doing? That's for me also, I, I get a lot of inspiration. I get a lot of, uh, I fire the general thing that entrepreneurship, whoa, they're succeeding. Awesome. So so it brings the, the power to the field. I, I think it's awesome. I just want to add another comment, Casper. You said something that around you know being impressed by your competitors. Uh, my 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 bread and butter work is platform and, and API development. So you often work with integration partners. Uh, and uh, 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 sort of an approach I've also enjoyed using is well, how could I instead of being a competitor have them become a partner? Because you can compete in certain parts, but if you have a if you have a shared challenge. Or, uh, or I don't know, a PR push or whatever it is, an integration that would make sense that would benefit the ecosystem more so than the individual parts. In my book, then you should try and pursue uh, a way of collaborating, even though you're perceived as competitors on maybe you know the top surface of of your product offering, uh, especially if you have APIs, because it helps both of of of, of your businesses uh, create stickiness in whatever market that, that they're in. And you don't have to have all this infighting because then you can talk nicely about each other and kindly and respectfully. And customers appreciate that more so than, yeah, these guys, they don't know what they're doing and come come by from us and, and, and so forth. So so I just want to add that in there, Casper. I think that's a, a very, very strong point. I love that you said that, Sarin, because I was thinking the same. It's like we are like brought up in this idea of like it's a competition because there's a finite amount of customers but I think like the world is showing us that if we innovate there's like how do we give them more uh, by being partners or being you're my uh, coach or whatever someone who inspires me to do uh, different things but um, I guess we're going into a new topic like I was like yes why do we need to compete does it always have to be more market shares more more growth, more everything. On that note, I can be a little bit pessimistic as well. We apparently, today is the day where we used all of the renewable resources on the earth. And from now on, it's um, the, the bad side of the year. Uh, so someone please pick up a happier note than uh, it's all doomed. We need to innovate more, basically. Fantastic, cheers guys. Um, so we'll leave it there then. This has been the Evolution Exchange podcast. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank Sarah, Soren, Olivier and Casper for providing their insights into the topic. And thanks to everyone for listening. If you'd like to get involved in one of our upcoming podcasts, reach out to me on LinkedIn or by email at daniel.mychek at evolution-nordics.com. And we'll see you next time. Cheers, guys. <laughs>